And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We pray for us. Father, we, we thank you uh, for your word that's livid, living and active, that your spirit uh, is, is uniquely present wherever it is read or preached. And so we pray you would um, convict our hearts through your word of what is true and that you would point us to Jesus, that we might hear well what you're saying to us this evening through Paul's letter to this Philippian church, and and that it would not just be abstract ideas in our head, but something that would really bear fruit uh, and and change everything about our lives throughout the week. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, one semester, I decided to double major in English and philosophy. And... uh, I got really overwhelmed with term papers. If, you, if you're in that kind of major, uh, you often know you have like one paper and it's like your entire grade for the whole class. It's kind of stressful and you, for me, I like wanted it to be just completely perfect, like get every little word and phrase just the right way. I really wanted to impress the professor, but the end of the semester was like rapidly approaching. And one of my friends, who was also a philosophy major, noticed that I was getting really stressed out. And he was like, you know, you always could just take an incomplete. And I was like, what? Explain. I hadn't heard of that before. And he said, yeah, last semester, uh, I, I just needed some more time to work on my paper. And I talked to Dr. Bombardi, who was the head of the philosophy department. And he said, just take an incomplete. He said he would grade the paper normally as if it had been turned in on time whenever he turned it in. Fun fact, I think this friend actually turned in like all his papers at the end of his senior year right before he graduated. So he really took advantage of that. Uh, and, And I was still like, I have no concept of how this is even a possibility. Like my understanding up to that point was like, you get your work in by the deadline, you stay up all night, you do whatever you can to get an A, and that's it. There's no other options. Like, this incomplete thing just sounded totally made up, unless you're, like, got in a car wreck or got sick or something. I was actually, I mentioned this to Kim as I was working on the sermon, and if you're into Enneagram, Kim is an Enneagram 1. Any fellow Enneagram 1s out there? Yeah. So Enneagram 1s, Perfection. You got to have things right. You got to do things a certain way. So she was kind of, she was frustrated with this, uh, this, this option out there. Um, but at the time, I was so desperate that I went to the professor and just kind of shyly asked him, hey, like, I heard that you can take 
and incomplete. Like, would that be an option for me? And I, I was expecting him to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about or how dare you ask me this. And he was just like, sure. And he basically told me the same thing he had told my friend uh, that I could take as much time as I needed. Um, and it just took me a while to really believe it was real. That my professor would really be that gracious, that he'd really be that patient with me. Why was that the case? Um, why, why did Kim and maybe some of you just even went to the idea of doing something like this? I, I think it's because many of us approach life like it is this pending term paper with, with a date that is not going to change. There's no extension. There's no incomplete. And we have to get it right. No questions asked. There is no option of taking an incomplete in life. Uh, and it's not just that fear of failing and, and having a bad grade. I think we don't want to be incomplete. Like, like we don't want to sit in the fact that, like, we are not finished yet. Like, we are still a mess. Like, no one wants to live in a house where there's still renovations going on. Like, you want to live in the house that, like, Chip and Joanna Gaines have just finished doing their last, like, batch of shiplap and the finishing touches and you've got the marble countertops like that's that's where we want to live but the question is um, if we had the choice and we really wanted to be uh, graded right now what would that grade be do we want that do we want to be to take to not take this incomplete option I think faced with the reality of where, where we actually are, this incomplete idea is hopefully starting to sound a little more worth looking into. And that's what I wanted to think about as we're considering what Paul is saying here about how God is at work in us. Are we operating as if incomplete is the normal, incomplete is okay, or are we thinking that every day has to be an A paper? The Christian life is much more like being daily, graciously given time to work more on the paper rather than it is this hard, looming deadline. And just like my philosophy professor, God values process. He could just instantly like zap us and make us what he wants us to be. But instead, he's like this artist who's doing one brushstroke here and another layer of paint here. And he has it laid out. He has a plan, but he doesn't mind taking his time. He doesn't resent this process and us being incomplete in the moment. Connection to Christ, or sort of our theme for the semester, is not about us being complete, but it's about us becoming complete. And that's what we see all over the section of Philippians. As much as Paul is so thankful for these Philippians, they've got a lot of good things going on. There's so many implications here that they are still incomplete. Yes, like we talked about last week, they are in Christ. They are forgiven. They're adopted as children of God completely by grace. The work of salvation has irrevocably begun in them. But it's not done yet. They haven't arrived. They've just entered into this great process of completion 
that some theologians call sanctification. And speaking of theologians, uh, I love what the Martin, Martin Luther, uh, maybe the one theologian that people like actually know, um, what he has to say uh, about this process. He writes, and this, this quote's actually in your bulletin, This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing towards it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. And I hope you hear that as good news. That this is a freeing announcement. That it's actually okay for you to not be complete right now. It's actually okay for you to show up at Wofford and not know what your major is. We... Being a Christian does not mean having it together and being complete. It means being someone who has been freed by Christ's grace, by his death and resurrection, to be incomplete and be in this process of completion. I mean, going back to me and that class that I took an incomplete in, what happened? Well, I can tell you, I really remember having a lot of fun with that paper. Yes, I had fun with the paper. I hope some people have fun with papers. And I think it was because I wasn't looking at it as like this ticking time bomb that I had to perfectly diffuse by a certain time or my academic career was just going to explode. Like I had this freedom to be playful, to be like, well, what if I tried out this idea or that thing? Or what if I looked at things this way? And I ended up learning far more than I would have if in the back of my mind my professor was standing over me in judgment being like, when is this guy going to turn in this paper? We're fighting against who God designed us to be, how he designed us to function, the joy and freedom he wants us to have when we insist on being complete right here and now. I know a lot of us, we think, maybe, maybe we aren't complete right now, but, but it's just around the corner. Like Once I hit that next stage, then I'm going to figure out life. Then, then I'm going to be killing it. Then I'll have my act together. It's not true. Like, and, and, and as we do that, we keep focusing on that next step. Like, once I get to next semester, once I graduate, we, we're missing the joy of, like, actually being there in the process. Like, you're not going to be complete when you graduate. You're not going to be complete when you get into grad school. When you graduate med school and you're in your residency, when you land a job with a great practice or hospital, when you get married, when you have kids, like, you're not going to be complete then. Paul tells us the only time we're going to be complete is the day of Christ Jesus. And so we're freed to be incomplete right now. And Paul wants to help us embrace this reality in two ways here in this passage. One, by pointing us to the promise of completion, and two, by helping us understand this process of completion. I mean, as much as it was nice to have this extended time, 
if I didn't ever actually turn in my paper and get the grade and get the, get the evaluation, get the well, well done for my professor, that wouldn't have been very satisfying either. As much as I'm you know, pushing back at this desire that we have to think, oh, this next step is going to complete us, that desire to be complete that you have is not entirely wrong. Like that is actually you longing for how God created humanity originally, how humanity was in the Garden of Eden, pure and blameless. Like that is why you want those gleaming, beautiful straight A's on your transcript. You're longing for that. And Paul wants us to know, even though we're in this fallen, broken world of sin, there is going to be a step when that becomes a reality when we do arrive, and it's the day of Jesus Christ. And throughout this letter, Paul can't stop mentioning this day. It's this day when, when the paper is turned in, and for those who have trusted in Christ Jesus for salvation, we get the final perfect grade that we really don't deserve. Well done, good and faithful servant. Paul just can't, if you flip through the whole book of Philippians, like he can't stop talking about this day. It, it literally starts and ends this passage. Imagine that. Just if you knew there was a day when everything you find lacking in yourself is just gone. Every flaw, shortcoming, every hateful and lustful thought, every imperfection in you and in your body, everything you failed to do that you knew you should have done, and everything that you wish you hadn't have done faded away from your memory separated from you as far as the east is from the west. The day of Christ is when all of that comes to its fruition. And it's all over scripture. When Christ returns to reign and rule and to bring in the new heavens and new earth, those who believe in him will be made complete, pure, and blameless. And really what that means is we will be made like Jesus. I love how John talks about this in 1 John chapter 3. He writes, Beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And that that last verse, I was like really mulling over that a lot. I was like, okay, we got to, this is by grace, but we got to purify ourselves. What is going on with this? And I think what it's pointing us to is how we move from hoping in this promise of completion to actually entering into the promise of completion. The beauty, the hope of that day of Christ when when everything that's wrong about us will be gone. We seeing that thing about that makes us want to see that break into our present lives now. You know, this summer, uh, in the months and the weeks leading up to us moving here to Spartanburg, um, you know, one of the things I noticed is we, we started caring less and less about our life in Pennsylvania and our house there and, you know, if things were a mess. Uh, and we started getting, we started thinking about, okay, what furniture is going to fit well in our new house and getting rid of some stuff and then already planning ahead and getting other furniture and then I was even, I was on Google Maps. If you open up my Google Maps amount, you'll see all these little like green flags of like, I want to go to this. Like there's, there's like a million restaurants in Greenville that I don't think I'll ever go to, but um, I hope I can hit some of them. 
But it was the promise of like what was going to happen, us being in Spartanburg, that this made me want to already take that and bring it into my present, even while I was still in Pennsylvania. The promise of being complete in the day of Christ, it, it, as we looked at that, it's meant to make us want to see that enter into our life now in whatever way possible. And that's what Paul is really getting at with his prayer here. But So what is, what is the process of becoming complete look like? Well, what do you picture it as? Some of us think, think it looks like just learning more and more. Like getting more and more information in our bookshelves, getting bigger. I could just know more facts. Like I'm going to be a little bit more complete. Uh, and Christians will do this, you know, with the Bible as our textbook. We're highlighting it. We're, me- we're like, memorizing it like we would our slides for class so we can get a good grade. We're showing up to everything, all the Christian events, taking diligent notes. Um, some of it, you, you read that verse and you're like, oh, yeah, this language, knowledge and discernment, like, proving what's excellence, that sounds awesome. Like, I love being precise with how I say things in my theology. You're kind of like, maybe you're like uh, Oscar in the office that he's known for. You had to get one office reference in here and just attribute it to Matt. He's like always like butting into the conversation being like, well, actually, and like correcting people on things. Some of us are that. I Honestly, I can be that sometimes. Uh, and it's not all bad, but we often end up using our knowledge for our own glory to get ahead and to look down at others. But for others of you, that's not you at all. You, you track your Christian growth through your emotions. Like you saw the let your love abound more and more, and you're like, yes, that's what I want. Let's go, like more of that in my life. And yet often your life is just like this roller coaster of emotions and this barometer, and you're trying to figure out, am I close to God? Am I not close to God? Am I close to God? You know, one time you're at large group and you're like, oh man, I'm really tracking with this. Like, I love the music. I love the message. And then the next time you're like, nah, I'm not tracking with this. Or maybe you, you were involved in some church camp this summer or were doing something, working for a church, and you're like, man, I had such an amazing time. And now you're back at school wondering, like, why do I not feel the same way? The Christian growth that Paul is praying for is much more complex than either of those things. He, he's praying not just for love to abound, but it to abound with knowledge and discernment. The maturity he's envisioning, it's both highly emotional and relational and knowledgeable. But, and let's just think again about the problem of, you know, one of these without the other. The problem of love without knowledge. I mean, what if, what if I told my wife, Kim... I, you know, I really love you because of your beautiful hair, or your beautiful red hair, and you're, because you're so short, you're like so much shorter than me, and your green eyes, uh, and because you're such a great professional ballet dancer, and uh, you love playing video games with me, and riding around in my big souped up truck, and like hearing me rev the engine. Like, if you know Kim, you're like, that's, something's wrong with Oliver. Like, we don't know who he's talking about. That did not describe Kim at all. I just picked all things that she hated and are not her. So, so is that love? Many people 
relate to God and to Christianity that way. Like they, they say they love God, like they think they're growing, they're emotionally moved during a service, during the music, or maybe they, they like some of the community aspects of Christianity. But then we ask them, like, what, what, what is, who, who is God and like, what does it mean to be a Christian? They, they have little to say that actually corresponds to like, what God has said about himself in his word. And sadly, I've seen this thing, that reality, turn people away from Christianity that actually are really seriously investigating it. Like they want to know, does this thing actually bear any weight? And then they see Christians that, yeah, they, they have religious emotions. And maybe it seems like there's some love going on, but there's no knowledge and there's no discernment. And it's just very easy to conclude Christianity is a joke. Christianity is irrelevant. It's not in line with objective reality. It's just someone's private hobby. Paul prays that we, Philippians, that our love would abound with knowledge and all discernment. And then the word Paul uses here for knowledge is a word that all throughout the New Testament, it's tied to this transcendent moral knowledge of God and of righteousness and sin, of the really deep, big picture things like what is right or wrong does it exist like what is our purpose who is god who is christ how are we reconciled to god if we don't know those things how can we truly help anyone else or love them but paul's not only concerned with like this you know that you've like memorized this theological textbook he also uses this word for discernment and it's interesting this word appears all over the book of Proverbs. And so he also wants them, as they're growing, to have this increasing common sense, ordinary daily life wisdom that also comes from God. Like he wants them to understand uh, when they need to answer a fool according to their folly or when they need to not answer a fool according to their folly. Those are two different Proverbs. Say the opposite thing. He wants them to not be naive, but to deeply understand people and the world we live in. Why? So that they might actually love one another well. And that, that's the point, too. Knowledge without love is just as crushing. Like, I'm sure just as many of you have been in church contexts where, like, you got theological knowledge just, like, shoved down your throat in Sunday school or in youth group or some other way, and you did not feel loved by the people there. They did not bother to get to actually know you. And, and some of us are still kind of operating that way. Like, we, we love the theology, or we love, like, telling people what to do and how to, what to do with their life, but we don't really care about them. And so we just need to, like, sit down our books for a moment and just listen to someone and know their story and who they are. Uh, I have a confession. Uh, I really prefer uh, my upper body workout days to leg day. I find it very tempting to skip leg day. It's just like the satisfaction I get from doing bench press that I don't get from squats. Maybe somebody can, you know, we'll go to the gym together. You can help me find that satisfaction. Um, but of course, you know, if you, the joke is like, you know, don't skip leg day. But if you really do skip leg day, like you are going to look weird and your body is not going to function the way it's supposed to. 
Like, a lot of us are doing that spiritually. We are like, the love thing, yes, I'm doing this. And then we're like, everyone's like looking at your knowledge legs and like, that's like a little weird. Or it's like the reverse of that. And, and, and often we can't do anything about it. And that brings us back to the fact that Paul is praying for this. He's recognizing this is something the Spirit has to do. It's not self-generated. Uh, we cannot force ourselves to care about people. We cannot force ourselves to want to dig into God's Word. And Paul, as he's praying for these things, sort of how it progresses, as, as we hopefully God is by His Spirit working love and knowledge and discernment into us, it, it synthesizes together to enable us to do something that is often our main challenge, approving what is excellent. Uh, this language kind of alludes to the practice of testing metals, of uh, a worker figuring out, okay, this metal's good, it might work, but it's not the best. Like, it's not the purest metal. I've had so many conversations already with some of you where y- you know clearly what's right or wrong. But you're struggling with, like, how do I discern what is best? from what is good. Like there are so many issues that we face that don't have a clear answer that you can't just flip to a Bible verse and just say, well, yep, that settles it. It's clear. You need to not only know what the Bible says, but the people you're dealing with and the practical wisdom around that. And the good news is, is that as we're seeking after those things prayerfully, we're going to be able to increasingly discern the best over the good. And have to have freedom knowing God is doing that in your life and it, it, you don't have to figure it out all right now. Well, as we wrap up, uh, there's just one thing I, I want to remind us of that's kind of, again, surrounding this whole passage, which is that, you know, I've been talking about this as if it's a solo term paper, but what Paul's really envisioning is a group project. This is something... This process of completion is something that all of God's people are working through together. I I love how Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 4 when he's talking to the Ephesian church. He writes, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you're someone who loves getting to know people, but you really just have a hard time digging into God's word or, or growing in just practical wisdom with how to do things, Get lunch, get coffee with people that you see that are doing that well. Put yourself around people that are different from you, that are going to speak the truth and love into your life. And, and moreover, especially for college students, like, go to church. Like, one of the biggest joys for me as a college student in RUF was having somewhere where I went where it wasn't a bunch of other college students who were doing the same stupid things that I was doing and thinking the same stupid ways that I was. You're not all stupid, just a little stupid. Um, and could speak into my life and bring new perspectives and even being around little kids as well. 
Like when Paul is envisioning this process, it, it is happening in, in all kinds of ages with all kinds of people that have been brought together into the body of Christ. And admittedly, that can be difficult and messy. Uh, if you've ever been a part of a group project, like for a class, um, you would know that depending on who you end up with, they could be pretty frustrating. Uh, often it ends up being the case of like, one or two people uh, carried the group. Um, maybe you were that person. But imagine, you know, you, you get this massive group project from one of your professors, but then he joins your group. And he tells everyone in the group, I'm going to personally make sure you all kill this assignment. You get a perfect grade. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'll tutor you. I'm going to pour out my time and my resources. I'm going to pour out my very life so that I'm going to see you complete this project. That's Jesus. Like, Jesus isn't throwing this assignment on us, you know, just leaving us with the exam and saying, hey, you guys figure it out. For, for anyone who is trusting in him, looking to his death and resurrection, looking to the forgiveness of sins found in him, has been united to him by faith, like he is in there with you, and he is committed to seeing you through the end with that perfect grade. He, he's, he's attached his whole reputation, his glory, to us arriving perfect and blameless at the day of Christ in his kingdom, overflowing with the fruit of of righteousness, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me close us in prayer.